Welcome to Teaching Channel Talks. Every other week, I'll be talking to expert educators about how to best address the most challenging issues in education. I'm your host, Wendy Amato, and this week it is my pleasure to welcome back Doug Lamov. Doug, welcome. Hi, Wendy. Good to see you. Doug, you're the author of Teach Like a Champion, and you have Teach Like a Champion 3.0 coming out now. Tell me a little bit about that. This timing cannot be accidental. No, uh, I'm really excited for it to come out. It's such a time of challenge and a time of need for teachers, right? We, um, I mean, the, probably the theme of the book is as much you know, the continuity of we always need to be studying our work and getting a little bit better at the things we do in the classroom. But now, especially, you know, we're coming back from this uh, terrible, awful, no good, very bad year. Uh, and um, even though, you know, teachers did incredible work to mitigate the difficulty of it. But there is no doubt that it's been costly for students and costly probably for the neediest students the most. And we, you know, it's just an, it's such an important time to be doubly intentional about the things that we do in the classroom so that we can make sure that what happened to students last year does not, you know, that they don't pay a price for it for years to come. Doug, as we think about the reasons for creating 3.0, can you talk about the techniques that you focus on and, and how you help us understand the use and recommendations of various techniques? Yeah, that's great. Um, there, are, there are some new techniques in the book, I should say. There are probably 10 or 12 new techniques. Wow. But I think that one of the big changes is a focus on how and why, and especially why. First chapter is really just on developing a mental model which is what, sh what does a classroom look like when it's working right? And what are some principles that I want to see, principles of learning that I should be thinking about as my students interact with the content? I think the techniques in this book are powerful and therefore the potential for misapplication can be powerful. But I really wanted to help teachers understand the how and the why behind the techniques so that they could make the best possible decisions about when and when to use them and when not to use them and how to use them so that they understood what they're trying to do. I went back to a technique like, you know, what in 2.0 was called slant and it was 500 words. And it basically said, here's an acronym for, you know, telling kids how to engage in behaviors that are, that, um, are what I would describe as pro-social, right? You look at someone else when they're talking and that tells them that they're important, they're important and you nod at them to say, I'm listening and I care about what you're saying right now. But frankly, I was stunned uh, by how much was missing from that in 2.0 and how I didn't really take the time to tell the story of how profoundly important pro-social behavior is and why and when you would want to do this and, and, and why you would want to do it. You know, but the story there is profound, which is most students, many students go to school in classrooms where they are asked to weigh in on ideas of importance. And when they look out at their classmates, their classmates are, are slouched in their chairs and not looking at them or looking at their phones or looking out the window or they look bored and the message is, I don't really care what you're saying right now. It just doesn't matter very much to me. And no one in their right mind takes, gives a risky answer or says something heartfelt in an environment like that. We wouldn't do it as, a, as adults and we shouldn't ask young people to do it. But if we can shift that so that when a young person is talking, the other people around them are looking at her and nodding their heads and their body language and their faces say, I, I care about what you're saying and it's important and I respect what you're doing right now, which is like you are wrestling with the content. That creates an environment, the optimal learning environment and the place where students just don't just have the opportunity to succeed, but it fosters success and, and, and creates an environment that encourages 
positive action, positive actions and positive behaviors. And so I think there are cases where teachers misinterpreted slant and, you know, focus too much on, on tracking the speaker without really understanding why. And that led to, it can lead to negative interpretations. And so I just really, really tried to describe in narrative form what we're trying to accomplish when we ask students to look at each other in the classroom and why it's so important when we build it so that student, that teachers understand, you know, if you understand the why, you're gonna be a better practitioner of the how. How about a decade in review? I think it was 2010, I was in graduate school and everybody in my doctoral program, actually everyone in the entire education school at the University of Virginia received your book with a letter from our dean. And uh, it, it, was, it was a game changer for me as a, as a emerging educator. As you look back at a decade in review, what what do you notice? One, I think uh, I see the power of shared vocabulary. Uh, you know, one of the things that I tried to create with Teach Like a Champion is not a program or a system, but a set of tools. And to have tools, you have to name them. And when you name them, then you can talk about how you use them. And you know, I just think that teaching has lacked a technical vocabulary for the thousands of decisions that we make, all of us teachers, in the course of a typical lesson. And if you give people names and names for the tools and they can discuss them and they can disagree with you and they can say, I don't like this technique or I do like this technique or I like it, you know, in this situation. And I just think it, it fosters com intentional conversation among teachers and I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, and I think that, I hope that Teach Like a Champion is, has played a role in that because I think shared vocabulary is important. I also think the role of video is really important. And I think that that's proliferated. I just there's so much, so much you can take from watching other teachers in the classroom. You know, one of the hardest moments for me in this last pandemic year was doing some workshops on online teaching for teachers in New York City. And we had been gathering video of, of teachers throughout the spring. And then September, they came back. And I was so stunned. You know, we, had a, we were in a, I was in a group with 40 or so teachers. And most of them had never seen an example of another teacher teaching in an online classroom. And so just showing them video and saying, this is what it looks like in 30 other classrooms. So you have a model of the different ways you could approach these problems is so important. And I think it's fascinating that like prior to 2010, you know, like most teachers had not had, had seen very little of, if not other classrooms generally, at least other classrooms outside their hallway, uh, you know, uh, as never mind in another in another country or across the country, and so I love the fact that I think that that's that's you know that that's that change has really proliferated um, education. You know, I also think we still have a long way to go. Uh, we're nowhere near where we need to be. You know, TNTP just put out this profound report called the Opportunity Myth that reminds us that the great majority of students who are doing everything that they've been asked to do in the classroom and are passing their classes in so many districts are not prepared to be successful at the college level in the, uh, to really compete for careers and opportunity for themselves. And I think we have to take that really seriously. We're not there yet. Uh, and there's, a, there's just a lot, of, there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of ways to go. And we have to accept that. And, and I think one of the, to go back to the cognitive science, you know, cognitive science is an equity issue. Students have the right to be in classrooms that are informed by what we know about how learning happens. 
especially in the, in the area of reading, but generally across the curriculum. And that, that, that does not happen reliably in American classrooms. And that is not, we just have to be honest with ourselves about a profession, as a profession that that is not acceptable. Doug, you've talked about how many educators were experiencing Zoom maybe for the first time, hadn't seen others. Have any recommendations for those of us now who have a collection of our own recordings, having captured them for students who are absent or uh, to use in different ways? How can we take advantage of the library collections we've amassed and do self-reflection? Yeah, what a great question. What what a, I mean, what a great question just to point out the gold that is out there, which is, you know, ten years ago. We rarely had video of ourselves teaching 20 years ago no one had video no one you know, like i remember the first time i saw myself teach uh in video it was it was painful uh but now we have so much we're all sitting on so much video probably of last year so i would i would like if i was going to give people a template i would say gather two or three colleagues who you love and trust and go through a lesson and choose you know two moments that you think are you at your best and two moments where there's something you want to improve on and share those videos with each other. And the goal, you, your goal could be like one glow and one grow, right? Here's one thing I love that you do, keep, keep doing more of it, replicate it. And here's one way you could solve a challenge that you're facing. Here's something you could do differently. Here's a different way you could approach this moment that you're not happy with. You know, if I can do that in tiny little 10 or 15 minute meetings maybe you know every other week for six weeks or so you know i just really believe like one of the things that zoom has made possible is short for you know reduces the transaction cost of getting together and meeting and so so we should be able to meet frequently for quick conversations to reflect steadily and periodically on our work and i i think you're right that just having a little template that little template like that with some trusted colleagues for our video is gold mine Doug, what else should people know about Teach Like a Champion 3.0? Are there other considerations you want to bring to our conversation? Grateful for teachers always to do the most important work in society, and doubly so now because they've just been through what is probably the hardest year uh, in, the, in the modern history of teaching. It's also been the hardest year to be a student. And so, um, you know, I'm just really grateful for what teachers have done and for their, uh, for all the teachers who want to make sure that they do right by students in the coming years. Thank you for that. And I hope the book is helpful. Thank you, Doug. You yourself are an incredible resource to educators. Thank you for helping all of us to learn from you and to learn more about ourselves to take care of students in our classrooms. To my fellow educators, thank you for joining both of us this week. You can find the links that Doug and I referenced uh, in the show notes or at teachingchannel.com slash podcast. If you leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast listening app you use, it will help more educators to find us. We'll see you in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>